0: Hi, I'm your host, Veronica Thompson, and welcome back to Above the Mean, a podcast about individuals actively pursuing their passions and pushing themselves to be better than the standard in order to stand out. This episode really dives into the mental aspect of sex and how we as a society really need to do a better job about normalizing it, especially in academia. We also touch upon racism within the kink community, Overall, I found this episode to be incredibly stimulating. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Today, I'm joined by Marla Renee Stewart, MA, a sexologist and author who runs her own sexuality education company, Velvet Lips, and is also a co-founder of the Sex Down South Conference she has studied mental and sexual health for more than 20 years and has given over 500 workshops all over the world she co-wrote her first book the ultimate guide to said education and foreplay with dr jessica o'reilly which debuted in april of 2020 thank you so much for coming on my show today marla absolutely thank you for having me i love the
1: earrings they're beautiful and i love the background Thank you. Thank you. I was, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And, uh, you know, before Zoom was Zoom and it was Skype. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I was like, I got to make sure my background is perfect. And then like Zoom came out and then they have like the blurred backgrounds or whatever. So, it was oh, just yeah. Like, like well, the green screen. Now, yeah. No. now Now what? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nothing beats authenticity. So I love it. I love it. I would just love to jump right in. I know you're a very well-accomplished woman. I know my listeners would love to get to know you a bit better. Can you share with us the backstory about what brought you exactly to your specific career path?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was, I think there's a couple parts to it. One is, you know, my mother, I would say she raised me uh, being, she was a sex positive parent, right? She really raised me to be aware uh, of, who I am, what I'm doing, how to be sexually responsible Um, and for her that all came from not wanting me to be like her, a teenage mother, right? Um, So I think it came from a point of a place of pain, but I think it also helped her realize like. You know, as a teenager, we have urges, (laughs) that's what she called it. We have urges, we get horny, you know. So, like, being able to recognize that and and be okay with it, I think, is it's hard for a lot of adults. Um, but I think she was just kind of real with me and and because of her own personal experience. And then, so I think that's the, the first part of it. And I think the second part is, you know, studying this in school, right? So, as an undergrad, I studied a lot of sex and sexuality, uh, psychology. uh, So for me, it was also a part of me. And then with that said, my friends usually come up to me and be like, Hey, Marla, I need help with my sex life. Can you, you know, can you tell me what I need to do? Can you give me some advice? And apparently I just gave great advice. And also I was thinking about my friends who were like having sex with these people and not having orgasms. And I was like, oh, that's not okay. That's not um, for me. That was that was uh, a huge deal because I was just like, why are not my friends having orgasms? Why are they having sex with these people who are not helping them to have orgasms? Right. Um, So I was kind of that, I think, helped project me or sort of just foster that. Uh, motivation to do this work, really. So yeah, so when I got into graduate school, I was just my, you know, one of my best friends was just like, hey, I'm gonna, uh, why don't you just start your business now while you're in graduate school. And so that's exactly what I did.
0: And here you are today. So you were the go to therapist in the friend group. I feel like every friend group has that one friend that they're (laughs) like, okay, I'm gonna tell you all my problems. And I need you to listen and give me that advice.
1: Mm hmm. Yep. I was that friend. Yep. (laughs) I was always talking about sex.
0: I read an article where you actually talked about normalizing all kinds of sexual behavior, especially in academia. Could you elaborate a little bit
1: on that? Absolutely. So as an undergrad, I was part of this uh, scholarship program uh, where they were prepping us uh, to get ready uh, for a Ph.D. program. And so I had to do an undergrad thesis. And When I did that undergrad thesis, it was in psychology, and I presented at the uh, National Institute for Mental Health, NIMH. It was interesting because in that presentation, there were students there, there were mentors there, and I remember some mentors like covering up their mentees' eyes uh, around the different quotes I had around sexuality, because I was talking about the sexuality of, of young girls. Of, uh, well, aged basically twenty five and under. Um, which is the research that I did. So it was a, a queer youth center that I had been volunteering for. And so my research was about the lesbian and bisexual young women and how they were navigating their lives, you know, every, every you know, from a nine-year-old to a, you know, 25-year-old. And so I had a lot of qualitative data and I just thought it was fascinating that they were feeling some type of way ab- about this, academic research like really and even you know we had to do like little poster you know poster presentations or stand next to our posters and um people were really kind of scared to approach me or to talk to me so i had very few interactions and people were like this is so necessary but like afraid you know afraid of it so uh, i was like academia needs some help right and when i moved into or when i you know got into grad school it was really kind of like, okay, this is it. I can do the research that I really want to do. So, for my master's thesis, that's when I took on um, uh, talking about Black folks in alternative sexual communities. So, my kinksters, my swingers, my uh, polyamorous folks, uh, or non-monogamous folks. It was that I thought that was necessary because that needs to be published. We need to talk about that stuff. And I'm grateful that I had the the mentor and the opportunity to do that um and from there i know there's lots of pu- more published research that has come over the years uh since i did that way back in 2013 so yeah i'm very you know proud of the work that i've done and I, it's come a long way and but the that shame and stigma uh is 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 falling away it's it's falling away over the years but um but in academia It's it's got it's gotten so much better. So, you know, I've been publishing, you know, academic articles and it's getting a lot more awareness than it had before. So I'm just proud of that work.
0: That's so interesting that like during your conference, these are adults and they're shielding their eyes essentially just because it's like they're just uncomfortable. Why do you think Mm -hmm. people often project that shame that they have around sexuality onto other people?
1: You know, I think part of it is how they grew up, right? So if you're not used to talking about sex, like my mom was very explicit with me. So if you're not used to talking about sex or you your parents didn't talk to you about sex, like they were silent or maybe your health ed only covered, you know, periods, whatever, like it, they didn't really cover like sex ed, then maybe you had some, you know, like here in the South, like abstinence only sex ed. Um, You really didn't get the information, and so I think part of it is it might be religious too right, because sometimes people's in people's religion they're taught like not to talk about sex, or you only do that when you're married. So you know once you're married, then we can talk all about it, but by then it's way too late, you know. So. Um, I I think it's a multitude of factors, but for the most part, um, I I really believe that it's the socialization of people, whether that's through religion, through their family, through school, through their job, career, or whatever, they're taught to shut their sexuality down. And so um, I I think that's where it might come from. You know, like I didn't talk about this, so you shouldn't talk about this.
0: Yeah, like it's very seen as a kind of taboo, like only really talk about it with like either close friends or family and I you make a really good point about it's really based on where you grew up because I guess like I grew up in the north and so like our sex education it was there but it wasn't really extensive but I never thought about people who may have grown up like in other parts of like the south where it is much more conservative and so they may not teach everything that they should. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And even, you know, when I was growing up um, in California, like, it it wasn't as comprehensive sex ed, but it wasn't, you know, we got to learn about condoms, you know, it wasn't so sheltered. I mean, now the comprehensive sex ed is comprehensive, right? They're talking about healthy relationships. They're talking about orgasms. They're talking about LGBTQ stuff. And I know if I would have had that information, I probably would have been better off understanding who I am, you know, as a queer person, as a queer femme, like being authentic in how I'm moving through the world. But instead I kind of was like, oh, oh, this is something that's supposed to be hush hush. Uh, And then it wasn't until I got to college that I was like, this is, I am not doing this hush hush thing. This is ridiculous, you know? So, (laughs) um, but yeah, absolutely. When it's all geographical, it's all dependent upon, a certain, how you're socialized, the identities that you hold on to. And like here in the South, you know, people really hold tight to those Southern gentlemen, Southern bell. And, you know, I think that's okay, but also unlearning the things that are unhealthy, I, I think are appropriate too. So, um, you know, there's always good with the bad.
0: I definitely agree. And you bring up Southern gentlemen. I'm curious, do you often find a lot of males that sign up for your lectures or your classes? Or is it mainly predominantly female?
1: Yeah, I I would say, um, I would say it's probably like 65%, maybe six cis women and like 35% cis men. Um, um, I would say there's a good, good amount that seek me out. So, you know, I I think it's, it should be more, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, um, But I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, women's socialization, you know, how we're taught to, say, stay small or not talk about sex or not initiate or be passive or, you know, all these things that can hinder our sexuality and and the power that it holds. So um, I think that's why a lot of women seek me out. And a lot of men that seek me out, it's usually because they want to, you know, they want to help their relationship or... Um, they're trying to figure out, you know, how to how to attract women or um or they just need some some just like help, you know, they just need to be like, I don't know what's going on with my penis. Help me, you know? (laughs) And you know, and that's fine too.
0: So you're like the female hitch, you give them relationship advice, get them What, what advice would you give to a man as to how
1: to approach a woman, I guess. Or like, what are some of the advice that you give? Yeah. So the advice that I give really comes out, uh, well, it's really what I've been teaching for the past, like 15 years. Right. So it's the, in the book, the ultimate guide to seduction and foreplay and the sexual theory that I came up with was the seduction learning styles. Right. And so this is not only your learning style, but it really is like how you are navigating the world. How are you communicating and connecting to other people? And so with the folks that approach me, I say, you know, and they're like, well, how do I attract or what do I do? There's a slew of things, right? Like, first is like, are are you together? Like, get your shit together before you go and try to like get with somebody before, you know, and then it all comes to a head. That's gonna be. Bad. (laughs) But if you get your shit together, you're good, then that's great. Now the next step is, okay, how do you connect to a person that you're really feeling? And the way of the connection is the seduction learning styles. It is a way of um, talking to someone. It is a way of relating to someone who is going to hear you, see you and be attracted, uh, because of how you are showing them love through communication. So I think it's powerful and it's, it's beautiful. And I, you know, I have a free class on my website about it because I like, I want everybody to know about this. I, I, this, I want it to be talked about like we talk about, you know, the love languages, right? By Gary Chapman. I I want it to be that popular to people are like, oh, I know how to talk to this person because this is how they are. You know, Uh, I want it to be that powerful.
0: I feel like it definitely has the potential. I actually took your seduction learning style quiz that I found on your website and my results expressed that I was an auditory learner. So essentially, I guess talking and listening are the best ways to turn me on like I love it when people ask me questions about myself but I just enjoy deep conversation and I often I vibe with someone of a different walk of life do you know what what is your
1: seduction learning style my seduction learning style I'm very much visual and tactile Mm. So I am, uh, you know, and I always can tell like people who are visual like we love shiny things you see you see my face you see all the things (laughs) it's just like we got to see the things. Um, And then tactile I'm a very touchy feely person so I know I can't reach out and touch you but you see I use my hands a lot and when I like, when I'm uh, talking in person like I. I say don't come within arm's reach of me because you're going to get touched right because I am tactile. And so, uh, yeah, those are that those are the ways to, to talk to me.
0: No, I love it. I love I love people who talk with their hands because it just makes everything more exciting. I feel like I want to try doing that more right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do you do do it feels good to you feels natural to you? You know what I mean? Everybody's attracted to something different. So I think the best thing that we had to do is be authentic, you know, and and be ourselves. There's no no other way to be
0: I definitely agree, and I feel like there's also some good that comes from stepping outside your comfort zone, because that's when you really learn
1: what you like and what you don't like. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to. You have to step out of your comfort zone or else you're not going to progress. You're not going to evolve. You're not going to see what your body, what your mind, what what you can do. And so absolutely. Absolutely.
0: See, I learned from talking. I'm sweating. So I learned I can't do that. Now, so in addition to being a sexologist, you're also an entrepreneur. Can you tell us about
1: your company, Velvet Lips? Absolutely. So my company, Velvet Lips, is a sexuality education company. This is where I do my work, right? So I do coaching, workshops, Uh, I'm, you know, basically helping people with their sex lives. And I tell people I specialize in, you know, seduction, communication, sex skills. Like those are the things I feel powerful and can help you with. So you need to get your sexy back. Let's do it right. You need to build up that sexual confidence. I got you. You need to learn some skills or your partner needs to learn some skills. Then I got you, you know, do you need to know how to connect with someone that feels good to you, I got you. So that is uh, my company. So I am so people come to me for coaching, I do lots of workshops with uh, in conjunction with different, uh, like sex shops or different organizations. And uh, I often, you know, do you know, just lots of fun, lots of fun and different stuff. So
0: And where do you find I guess most of do you do just most of the research yourself? Or where do you find these lessons are like how do you how do you educate yourself in order to educate
1: others i guess yeah i mean well part of it is i've been studying this for 20 plus years right and i think the one thing that people you know when they get into this field they often don't do is they just kind of stop there they stop at maybe academia or they stop at a certain point but you always have to be learning right so i'm always taking classes i'm always you know I am always doing the thing like I am always doing something. Um, I'm always learning more, you know, because I think it's valuable, like even classes that I have. I mean, I, I have an art of dirty talk class and I I took somebody else's dirty talk class because I was like, oh, that's, I was like, I want to know what they do. Like, how do they run their, their, their work? And that's coming from the entrepreneurial mind, but then also like, oh, well, how what 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 are, what are they going to teach me to help me be better um you know at dirty talk because i mean the whole reason why i invented the class is because i wasn't that good at dirty talk you know so <laughs> um you know there's always things to learn about ourselves each and every day and i think the moment that we stop learning or the moment we we don't learn or the moment we just stop you know wanting to learn i think that can be really a hindrance on our sexual lives and and how we move through the world
0: Oh, I completely agree. And this really aligns with my follow up question I wanted to ask you because I was actually reading one of your articles called Five Things Anyone Can Do to Optimize Their Mental Wellness. And I really resonated with your third response, which was essentially what you just talked about, which is using active listening and being just curious, being genuinely curious about others. And I 1000% agree with that because our curiosity is what fuels us. It's what drives us to wanna learn, to wanna be different, and just to not stay complacent.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I wanna, I am so nosy, you know, like I wanna know what is going on in people's bedrooms. I want to know how are you having sex? What are you doing? How's that working out for you? What do you like? What do you don't like? I am that person. Like I'm genuinely curious about people and how they move through the world. Like, do you like to talk about sex? Do you not like to talk about sex? What kind of, you know, there's so many things to, to talk about when it comes to sex. You know, how did you grow up? Did you grow up with any, you know, shame, stigma, or, you know, did you grow up in silence? I don't know. Like, I, I think it's beautiful to, yeah, just, just be curious and wanting to know more about someone.
0: No, 1000%. Because I feel like when you're curious, and when you ask questions, that's when you get to gain a different perspective that you may not have been really accustomed to.
1: Absolutely. And my mom always said, you know, one of the best lessons learned are lessons learned from other people, right? So that's why active listening is powerful because if you're speaking and you have an experience, I learn from that experience. So that's why I take it in and ask questions and like, Oh, and then, of course, the entrepreneurial mind in me is probably going to be like, oh, this can fit somewhere in my work or whatever. Or like, this is powerful. This needs to I need to add this on or whatever. But different people's experiences have really helped uh, shape all of these lessons that I've learned over the years.
0: Yeah. And I I like how you said that that entrepreneurial mindset, because I feel like that's really key to having an entrepreneurial mindset is just being curious and being open, like open and receptive to just different situations, different people. Like, I feel like you can't be an entrepreneur if you're not just able to adapt quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Adapting is key.
0: One other thing I wanted to talk about was I know you recently did a series called Race and Kink, where you talked about a wide range of topics such as racism and kink spaces to unpacking desire and shame which I think is very fascinating because those two are definitely linked together. These are topics that I really hadn't thought of, but I feel like they're very important to talk about because they're often not really expressed. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on them.
1: Yeah. So, you know, Luna and I, um, came up with racing kink because uh, we hang out every week virtually. She's in Toronto, you know, I'm here in uh, Florida. Well, I go between Atlanta and Florida. And so like, You know, we were, she was really talking about, she was just like, have you seen this stuff on FetLife? Like, people are just freaking racist in the kink world. Really? And just, just saying some, just off the wall shit. And so we were like, we need to talk about this. Like, we don't talk about racism in kink enough, right? We just kind of... We 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 just don't talk about it, and so we were like let's make a series let's bring on these kinksters let's talk about it. And then we can also educate you know a lot of these white folks who are coming in and be like I don't I, I want to be anti racist, how do I do that, how do I be anti racist and kink. Um, and I think that's so important so we've been doing this since 20 so this happened in 2020 like this is right off of George floyd's murder how we were just like. The world is shit right now, what is happening? And so um, we have done the series since then and it's been beautiful and amazing. We've had all sorts of awesome kinksters come on. All They're all kinksters of color. So the, the point is they're all kinksters of color. Uh, And we really go into like, what is your experience, you know, with white folks? How have you experienced racism? Um, How have you, you know, curtailed racism? Well, you know, what are the things that you teach? How do you, you know, are, how are you being, um, how do you be anti racist? You know, what are the ways that there's racism between Uh, you know, BIPOC communities, because it's not just all about, you know, Black and white or, you know, Asian folks and white folks, you know, there's in between, you know, Black folks and Asian folks or whatever, right? Like, so there's like all of these other elements that are super important, but we wouldn't have had this conversation Um, If it weren't for you know the the racism that we were seeing, but um, we just felt like we needed to talk about this and that people needed this information and the folks who were our allies and accomplices that those people would show up and know like hey Okay, if I go into a dungeon, this is what i'm what i'm not going to do, you know, or this is, you know, or this is the way that I need to go about my kink, you know. and it's it, there's no right or wrong answer, which I think is beautiful because it is a discussion series. We are talking through these things. And, you know, it, it for some people, it's like a hell yes. And some people it's like a hell no. And there's, you know, all the folks in between. And I, I love the series. I think it's beautiful. And then from that series, we came up with this other idea of a kink retreat called Kinky Tapas. And so with Kinky Tapas is basically get a little bites of a lot of kink. It's it's BIPOC centered, but it is for everybody, right? So it's sort of like you want to come in and and do some kink and we'll show you some skills. And um, so we're really excited to be, to be launching that this year.
0: That's really cool. I have two questions. Well, so how would you define what exactly is a kinkster?
1: So a kinkster is someone who like engages in kink um but it's not like twenty four seven. so it's um it's it's someone who delves in kink but maybe not in a leather group or not part of a family or um or just you know they they like kink but they maybe keep it to their household or something right they um so it's just like a person who enjoys kink but is not attached to any kind of one organization or another
0: Okay, so they're kind of like floating around free. Yeah, just a kinkster, just like a person who likes kink. Okay, and now what do you have any kinks? Like what are some of your kinks that you like?
1: Absolutely. So I call myself a, a professional top. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, you know, I, I i mean, I teach impact play. So I teach, you know, spanking and slapping and hitting and kicking and, um, I teach, uh, breath play or particularly around choking, like how to choke someone properly. And, um, I also am a big fan of pussy torture. Um, so though, I would say those are definitely like my kinks. If I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna just kind of, but my kink is like a sensual kink. So, uh, I'm a, I'm a bit of a sensual sadist. Um, so you know, I love hurting you, but I'll make it sexy.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I'm gonna hurt you. <laughs> if it hurts a little, but it's gonna be sexy. I yeah. like- <laughs> everyone loves a good spank. I don't if they're if they don't, they're yes. it.
1: <laughs> and- I'm like I gotta write that quote down.
0: yes, I was like, that could be a shirt right there. <laughs> <laughs> And that's so interesting, though, because I, I recently had a dominatrix on. So I'm like learning more about like the Dom world and things of that nature. But I never realized that there, um, I guess, where racism was involved. I mean, racism is always going to be involved no matter where. But it's interesting to see that it was involved in uh, king culture. Could you give an example of like what you mean by that exactly?
1: Uh, are you talking about the racism in king culture? yeah yeah so similar have you ever heard of like um like on the dating apps they will be like no fats no femmes or uh you know no blacks no you know whatever
0: yeah so- like i have seen like on the newer ones you can kind of have preferences i guess
1: yeah, but this is like more. I mean, I feel like the the dating apps have kind of probably modified this thing since all of that, you know, since the the, the sort of I guess more of the uproar. But people, I mean, you know, preferences are are fine. Um, I think it's more of um, like the racism that was happening on the website, right? Because hmm. FetLife, it's the, one of the biggest kink. It's like the kink Facebook, right? It's it's that big. And I think when we, when we like, oh, maybe I should say this, it's, we depend on it so much, right? It's sort of like when Facebook has like its no hate policies or whatever, mm-hmm. like hate speech is not tolerated, whatever. Well, life is not the same, because it's not necessarily regulated, it's not huge, kink is already a taboo, so it's kind of like it still, unfortunately, is able to sort of have those hater vibes, you know what I mean? Um, Yeah, like it's kind of its own entity, where it's like, there is no real, I guess, what's the word, like, um, monitoring? Yeah, regulation kind of thing, right? Because it's, you know, privatized and everything else, and... So, you know, when you have an entity like that, it's 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 hard to control. But I think the I believe the 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 owner of the site too was also being racist. So it's like, how do you operate within this racist ass community? But you kind of need this community in order to connect with people from around the world, you know, or even locally.
0: So then that's really important, the work that y'all are doing, because I feel like the hardest thing is starting the conversation. And so once you do that that's gonna be there to educate people who may not have been aware. And they can be like, oh, I was doing that. Like, I'm so sorry, like, let me try doing this instead.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. So I feel like, you know, when we learn from our mistakes, we become we become better people overall. So, um, you know, the, the, the if folks can get to a place of being anti-racist, that's great. Like I have a DEI and kink training actually next month. So it's like I'm trying to help people understand what are the things that they can do to to understand their own racist stuff or how racism, what racism might look like, you know, in the in their in their in their context.
0: And that's amazing.
1: Organizations or events.
0: I know we had talked about earlier desire and shame, which I kind of think goes back to what we were talking about before, with just the fact that I feel like people, a lot of people are curious about sex cuz i mean for the most part everyone's having sex. Everyone everyone does it and it's like it's something that we all do but we don't share. Like we have that shame that stigma towards it. And so in these classes that you're teaching, how do you teach people to get over that?
1: Well, i think part of it is like, you know, when you're going through the unlearning process, i i feel that you should do some of these exercises that are actually in the book the the in our the ultimate guide to seduction and foreplay book but it is around like positive affirmations it really is about changing your brain into unlearning those things that have negative negatively affected you so i believe that you know when you are um being aware when you are doing the work, when you are writing those affirmations, you are saying those affirmations. You're not just like writing and you know, set it and forget it kind of thing. <laughs> you are you're actually being more powerful um, in the way that you're moving through the world. So yeah, did I answer your question? Like
0: no, yeah, I definitely think you did. I feel like you make a really good point with the fact that you need to really believe and hone in on what it is that. When you write your affirmations that you're trying to manifest, because if you just kind of do it half ass, like you're not really going to get the benefits from it.
1: Right. And I think a lot of times people don't know what they desire, too. So when we think about like desire, what is desire? What do you want? What is, you know, how how do you get turned on? How do you get aroused? Um, really understanding that and learning that can be good for you because we can use that power to shape yourself.
0: Oh, yeah, 1000%. I guess that's really where your seduction language comes in handy because while there's love language, seduction language is different because it's more about what piques your interest versus what kind of, I feel like love is what kind of centers you at your core, but seduction is what ignites that fire.
1: Exactly. Yep. Exactly.
0: And I know you also do a little bit of mental health as well. Like we had talked about. Uh, I think there was one quote that I saw on one of your articles, even those who are mentally healthy can still improve their mental wellness. Could you share some tips or tricks on how
1: to improve your mental health? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when it comes to mental health and mental wellness, the most important factors are the hormones that we're getting. Right. And some of us, our brains just don't produce enough naturally. Some of us like produce a lot, you know, so We really have to understand what our bodies are going through and how it looks on an everyday basis, right? So for instance, uh, I had a, a friend, a close friend, and we were talking the other day and they were expressing to me about how they just learned that they have ADHD and how it's been affecting them. And they didn't realize like all of these different factors because they just weren't in touch, right? Until they went to therapy and the therapist is like, hey, I think you have ADHD. But with ADHD, one of the things is that there's a lack of dopamine, you know? So it's a hormone, it's a hormone related. So it's like, how can you get that ex- dopamine experience? Um, because that is the thing that helps regulate your ADHD, right? It helps you to regulate those impulses or the, the, Uh, inability to to focus, right? And so I think it's, it's hormonal, we have to think about our mental health, our mental wellness, and a lot of it is hormonal. So the ways that we can do that is, I believe, through meditation. So making sure we're in a, a safe place, a safe and secure place, we are meditating, I meditate every day. So making sure you're meditating making sure you're breathing, you know, a lot of us don't take the time to do breath work, right? So really doing some deep breathing, really centering ourselves and, you know, where are we at in, in the world or whatever. So breath work, I think is super powerful. And then I think also, um, doing things that make us happy, right? So what are the things that make us happy? Um, and let me back up. What are the healthy things that make us happy? <laughs> I like how you had to make that clear distinction. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I love drinking, right? But drinking isn't all that healthy. If I want, you know, two bottles of wine, you know what I mean? I mean, one a so. day, keep <laughs> the fun at bay. <laughs> I mean, the fun is great, but the hangover the next day or, you know, it's that's what those, gets you. those overindulgence, you know, that. Th- those are the things that are not healthy, right? But when we do healthy habits, when we do those healthy things that make us happy, so maybe I just have two glasses or three, you know, maybe not two bottles, you know, or um, maybe, you know, you may- you just do the things that you love to do. So I don't know, maybe that's dancing, maybe that's playing sports, maybe that's, you know, uh, making out with your lover, maybe that's uh, you know, watching drama shows, maybe, you know, whatever it is, what are the ways that you love to get your dopamine hit? You know, because we all need these dopamine hits and the, the dopamine that's coming from social media is like not enough. Like a lot of people are, you know, going on social media and, and, and that is not where you should get your dopamine. You know what I mean? You should get your dopamine from things you love to do. Um, and unless social media is your jam and you, like, run 18 accounts, like, I mean, then, yeah, maybe that's cool for you. But for a lot of people, it's not like that. Um, yeah,
0: One thousand percent. I agree. If you're not getting paid by social media, there's no need to really be on it that excessively. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Exactly. But I mean, it, like I said, it's good for folks. It's, it, it can be good for folks, but it can be really detrimental for others. But the point is, you got to get those the hormones up. You got to get that serotonin in, you got to get that dopamine in, you got to get them endorphins in. And what are the ways to do that? Exercise is huge. Exercise, um, you know, sex, all those things help you, you know, have a healthy heart, healthy system and a healthy mind.
0: I love that, I really do. So what are some things that you do to get those dopamines up?
1: Uh, I told you like I'm I, I, so I am very structured um you know, very kind of type A control person. Uh, so I you know I wake up in the morning, I meditate i um I write and I, I have a journal, so I write my daily journal um I do some habit tracking. Um, I, every, every day I write a sentence of whatever that month. So the month usually has a prompt, right? So this month I have for March is, uh, how can I, how, how do, how do I bring in my sexy? And so, or what are the ways that I bring in my sexy? And so like every day I write a sentence of something different of what are the ways that I bring in, bring in my sexy.
0: What did you write Um, today? How did you bring in your sexy?
1: uh, today I said, I am going to, um, I'm part of this coaching program where we talk about million dollar decisions. So, uh, I said, one of the ways that I'm going to do this is through my pole dancing classes. I was like, I love pole dancing. I need to sign up and get back into it. Cause I did it for a long time. And I was like, I need to get back into pole dancing. So, um, I made the decision to, uh, look up uh, some pole fitness studios, and then try to think about my schedule and 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 make it happen for myself. So that's the that was today's.
0: No, I pole dancing is really fun. I've only done it once, and it was during a girls trip in New Orleans. And I wish someone had told me that pole dancing involves so much core because we had oh. eight, and then went pole dancing, and it's <laughs> it's hard to feel sexy on a full stomach. You're just yeah. like doing the most and you're just like oh I'm not trying to throw up I'm still trying to feel myself in these heels and I was it was a lot there was a lot going on but I still enjoyed myself (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) that can be too hard you don't want to do that
0: no so I would love (laughs) to try it again just you know maybe do classes first and then go get food and drinks but yeah (laughs) exactly
1: celebrate the class after (laughs)
0: exactly exactly (laughs) oh One last thing before we wrap up is I know you've been giving a lot of gems lately. Like you've been dropping a lot of good quotes. I was going to ask you, is there a quote that you live by?
1: Absolutely. Yes. I have a couple of quotes that I live by. And I was like, um, so I I have them on my, um, my Facebook and one of them is everybody love everybody, which is by the Flint tropics. So if you're not familiar with the, um I don't know if you're familiar with that film um is it semi pro semi-pro yeah with will I love Will Farrell. yeah me too <laughs> me too and so I love that everybody love everybody and so that's <laughs> one of my favorites for sure because I was just because I think when you approach people with love um you know you approach people with kindness you you get that back And I I think that's beautiful and I think it's also a way of connecting with somebody who might have a different views than you that. You actually can still really connect on some kind of level if you take the time to listen and learn what they have to say, so I know that's hard for a lot of people it's hard it's hard for us, but. Um, but I think it's possible. And I, and I try to think about like, just love everybody, just approach people with kindness, approach people with the love in your heart and go from there. And then, uh, I also like a couple of, uh, a couple of other quotes. So one is by Audrey Lorde, who is like, you know, one of my shiros. Um, and one quote that she has, uh, in one of her essays is, um, Uh, the quote is the erotic is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self and the chaos of our strongest feelings and so i really love that quote because for me it really expressed how i feel about the erotic right it's how who we are and how are we feeling about it you know it's like what what resonates in us and our our strongest feelings how because you know i veronica i like i love hard right like when i love i love hard and so that's why it's very easy for me to say everybody love everybody because i love is expansive there's no limit on how much love you can give right there's no nobody says like you only have this amount of love you know (laughs) like that's ridiculous and so when I think about how much love I have to give like those are strong feelings and. Um, and sometimes I think that scares people like even when I love you like you know it's great I love you and that's and that's cool and some people are like oh that's. It can be strong, but that's what it is. It's the erotic. It's the the erotic is this, I don't know. For me, it just feels like it's this bubbly, gooey mass that when you speak it and when you feel it and people get some of that gooiness on it and it sticks to them a little, you know yeah, what I mean? And I think that is how I interpret like the erotic. That is
0: so that was powerful. I I was still like, like settling and I was still thinking about that one. That that was a really good quote because I really like that where it's about not only just being unique, but just kind of like being open to just different things like how we talked about earlier.
1: Yeah. And our feelings, our feelings are chaotic there everywhere. We have so much emotions inside of us about any and everything. And, you know, the erotic is in there and all those emotions are there.
0: No. And I love the fact that you said that you just, you have so much love to give. Cause I feel like a lot of people for close off that emotion. Like it's scary. Love can be a scary thing, especially when you want to give that love to a significant other or a friend, cause you worry about, is that love going to be reciprocated? I feel Mm -hmm. like that's why a lot of people fear love. They're just like, I don't, I I don't know if I have, I'm going to give you a little taste. We're going to see what you do with it. And then depending, I might ration out a little bit more, but I love that you're just open and you're just like, this is me. I'm gonna love you. And we're going to vibe.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's no fear in that. And I think, I think, that has to do with me just being myself, right? And being able to like, I am confident in who I am and I got a lot of love to give. You want some, you know, (laughs) get get some. I can give it, you know, you want to give it back. That's cool. If you don't, that's okay. Oh, no. And
0: I really, really admire that. And you talked about just giving love like be like you love hard. What are your do you have any red red flags? that you look for insignificant. Well, not that you look for that. Like when you see in a significant other, you're just like, Ooh, I'm going to take a little, some of that love back.
1: Oh, Veronica. <laughs> oh, the red flags, the red flags, you know, I, because I love hard, I have been in many, many long-term relationships and in those relationships, I tended to ignore the red flags. Right. Um, and I'm happy. I, I I found my love. Now I'm married, happily married. Um, and you know, we are, we are good, but like before her, my goodness, I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> there were there were that lots of red flags that I ignored so um in my in the past I and it took it took therapy it took it took a lot of work for me to to do this and now I'm like I need to teach this to other people because they can attract the love of their lives by doing what I did um but whew, before that okay red flags red flags for me were not having a job, not having their own place to live and not having a car because I was just like I'm too old I'm too old uh, to be to be I, I was attracting a lot of homosexuals you know <laughs> people moving into my house and you know ain't got no job ain't got no car ain't got no nothing like I was like what am I doing um so that is definitely a, a red flag for me. Um another red flag for me is something kind of easy, but like cigarette smoking i'm not a I'm not a smoker and i it's for me it's really disgusting, so that's a red flag and red flags are all individual, you know what I mean they're not like universal um so yeah, my personal red flags are um I like someone who's really dedicated to their career and their job, so if they just like don't have a job or they just don't aren't motivated um or aren't goal oriented that's a red flag for me so they they need to be goal oriented they also need to love what they do you know what i mean like if you if 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 you love to lay on the couch all day every day and you make money doing it by all means do it (laughs) if you love that you know but if you don't then that's a problem you know what i mean Yeah, those are kind of a few of the bit. I I wrote down a whole list of like non-negotiables of, you know, folks who maybe don't like to travel. I love to travel. So somebody who doesn't like to travel is is a red flag for me. Um, I love to go any and everywhere. So I feel like I agree with
0: you on a lot of your red flags because I know like, yeah, Yeah. how we said they're very much geared towards each individual person, but there I feel like there's some universal red flags in there that majority of people should kinda look out for,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean it just all depends too, you know what I mean like it it just all depends like i have a I have a a friend who like what are her red flags is when they when her um lovers don't give her gifts, right, oh okay, and so it's like. If they don't naturally give me gifts, or like I tell them, hey, this is my love language, give me gifts, and they just don't do it, like that's a red flag, you know? So for me, like gifts, I'm like, eh, I don't, gifts aren't a thing for me, you know? Touch me, talk to me, you know, have sex with me. Those are the things that I like, you know, the, the, that's what I like. But so yeah, everybody's red flags are different.
0: No, I I feel that because I have a friend who she's like five, eight. So one of her red flags is she doesn't like guys who aren't six feet or taller.
1: Mm. I'm five,
0: four. So I don't have that problem. (laughs) I'm usually good to go. I'm fun size, as I like to say. (laughs) (laughs) But I definitely get what you're saying. And how did you meet the love of your life, your significant other? Where did y'all meet?
1: Yeah, we met at a flag football tournament. Um, so I was just hanging out (laughs) being single and uh, (laughs) just enjoying my friends from California had some games and they were like, we don't have anybody in Atlanta who we don't have any friends in Atlanta who would come support us. I was like, yeah, of course. So I came out and watched their games and, um, they, uh, they, uh, you know, went away and, um, she i guess i laughed at one of her jokes because you know i was just sitting there alone drinking my beer i was good and i laughed at one of her jokes and then she just looked at me and then she just came right over and started talking to me and i was like oh that's different (laughs) i was like because most people do not come up to me to start talking to me it's very rare usually because i'm so extroverted i think usually i'm the one that goes up to people and talks to people um so for me that was different and um yeah, she ended up being from Florida and I was in Atlanta at the time. And um, so, yeah, we met at a, you know, five football tournament. We exchanged numbers and two weeks later she drove to Atlanta and she, well, first she called me and was like, Hey, in two days, I'm going to come over to your house and I'm going to stay for four days. And then what well, I was like, uh, okay, so Ooh, we love
0: a woman who takes charge.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Right. Knows what they want. You know, yeah. I I love a person who knows what they want, you know. Um, and so that was a really a turn on, very confident. Um, and so, yeah. So now we are here years later, you know, got a new baby and, you know, and all the things. So.
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: That's so exciting. Marla,
0: this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your wisdom. Gabbing, laughing. I I had a really good time. And I will definitely make sure to link everything in the description below, as well as like your
1: book, the quizzes, your website, everything. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Veronica. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you again. Yeah, of course.
0: That's all for this episode. This concludes my two-part mini-series about women entrepreneurs who are empowering people to be more confident in themselves through sex education. There will not be a new episode next week. I'm taking a much-needed vacation where I plan to do absolutely nothing and really tap back into myself and realigning my focus and my energies. But once again, thank you for listening to Above the Mean Podcast. If you liked it, make sure to comment and subscribe. And don't forget to subscribe to our Instagram. I'll be uploading highlight clips and bonus reels from the podcast. And as always, remember, don't settle for average. Rise above the mean and stand out.